Hey, San Diego. This is Abby Hamblin here with my co-host, Chrissy Totten, and this is the Name Drop San Diego podcast. On this show, we talk to interesting people living in or from San Diego. So far, that has included scientists, politicians, musicians, and artists, and today it includes an author who is also an expert on interviewing. Dean Nelson is the founder of the journalism program at Point Loma Nazarene University, where he also founded the Writers' Symposium by the Sea. It brings all kinds of fascinating writers to San Diego to talk about craft and be interviewed by Dean Nelson. His list of guests has included Ray Bradbury, Alice Walker, Nikki Giovanni, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Dave Eggers, and many more. This year is the 26th anniversary event, and the Writer's Symposium will be held virtually starting March 23rd, and hopefully again in person in 2022. Dean Nelson is author of many of his own books, too, including his latest, Talk to Me, How to Ask Better Questions, Get Better Answers, and Interview Anyone. So let's talk to him. Here's our interview with Dean Nelson. So you're an author, a journalist, a professor, and host of the annual Writer Symposium by the Sea, but among many areas of expertise, you've literally written a book on interviewing. And so since everyone's talking about this big interview this week, um, talking about interviewing at all, which is amazing to see, uh, Oprah interviewed Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. First of all, did you watch the interview? I did watch the interview. And... um... I usually approach those things with a certain amount of dread uh, <laughs> because I, I, A, and I'll, I'll just reveal my own uh, weakness here. I'm not interested in that topic. The royal family is just not interesting to me. And uh, Oprah, who I admire for uh, many, many reasons, um, I just thought, well, uh, okay, I'm, I like her, but I'm still not interested in the topic. But I watched it anyway, just because it was such a cultural phenomenon. And, uh, and I was impressed. I w- but I wasn't just impressed with her. I was impressed with Harry and Meghan, too, uh, just as how forthcoming they were. But, um, but that was partly Oprah's doing uh, as well. So I thought the interview, uh, even though I expected kind of the worst, I came away from that with uh, renewed respect for her. Yeah. So how do you, I, I just find it truly amazing that people are talking so much about interviewing this week. Like, I think usually, you know, you're talking about what was said by the, the interviewees, but who's talking about the interview skill and style. What did you think of Oprah's kind of strategy and uh, way she sort of tackled so many yeah, interesting it, subjects? Well, because I literally wrote the book about interviewing. (laughs) I pay attention to uh, these things uh, maybe more than than normal people. Um, And so I actually took notes while I was watching the interview because one of the things I'm really attracted to in uh, the interviewing process is the structure of the interview because I view When I craft an interview, and I use that word specifically and intentionally, when I craft an interview, um, whether it's with Anne Lamott or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or um, Alice Walker or whomever, I treat the interview itself almost like a story. I want it to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And there may even be 
some sort of a crisis point in that interview, the way you would see in a really good story where the main character is kind of put in this uh, position. And that's where I usually, if there's a thorny question to ask or, or something, um, you know, I'll, I, I know where that's gonna be. And um, so with all of that as background, I paid attention to the structure of her interview and I thought it was skillful. I thought it was skillful and really, really well done for, for a couple of reasons. One is she settled all sorts of questions with the audience right at the beginning by saying, you did not get the questions in advance. Uh, there were no agreements about topics that we would avoid. There were no taboo topics. And obviously there were no taboo topics if you watch the interview and you didn't get paid to do this interview. She settled those three questions right out of the chute. And I thought, okay, now you've got the audience on board because the audience is, is not gonna have those questions kind of lurking uh, uh, in the background. So that was brilliant. Um, and then she starts out easy. I mean, any good interview is going to start out just trying to establish some common ground and, and maybe establish uh, a sense that this is, you're safe with me, that kind of thing. So she starts with the wedding. She starts with the wedding. It was beautiful. Um, and then she had good follow-ups. Uh, um, she was, uh, she started to get a little more specific about some of the criticism. Uh, and then I, I think the, uh, silence is just an amazing part of an interview. It's part of what I call the grammar, part of the grammar of an interview. And she, she used silence well uh, also, where there would be an answer and she didn't just rush in and kind of fill it with the, uh, the next question. And then there were the thorny questions about, uh, about race uh, and about um, the queen and all. Uh, and then there was this sort of ease, ease the thing down kind of conclusion and talk about the nonprofit. We're looking at chickens and you know, we're, it's, I just thought the, the structure of the thing was great. Well, enough about Oprah. You are a, an amazing interviewer in your own right. Well, um, the Writer Symposium has been going for 26. This is the 26th. This is our year? 26th year. Yeah. How did this all come about? Like, what was the seed that really got this thing started? Um, when it, 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 it wasn't a plan, actually, the, the, this was not something that I had uh, set out to do. But, um, but when I was in uh, grad school, but in my um, doctoral program, uh, they would, this, the university, this is at Ohio University, um, they had what was called communications week, and they would bring in professionals uh, uh, from the world of journalism for a different one every day, and the students had access to them, and, and they would give talks, and then they would be in classes, and you know, you could kind of uh, uh, bump up against them and, and, and have some personal interaction with some of these folks. And I found that really inspiring. And so I went back, I had taken a leave of absence from Point Loma. I taught at Point Loma for five years, realized if I'm gonna stay in the, the academic world, 
I need to get a doctorate. So I took a leave of absence from Point Loma for two years. And uh, that's when I was in Ohio. So I come back to Point Loma and um, thought, well, we'll try to do something similar. And so we just brought in some local um, news folks. Uh, but I also thought, well, what about the broader area? What about fiction? What about poets and, and stuff? And one of my favorite writers at the time, um, who's, who still is one of my favorite writers, lived nearby. Uh, Joseph Wambaugh uh, is his name. He's, he still lives near the campus. He's you know, former Los Angeles, uh, lo uh, longtime San Diegans will know exactly who Joseph Wambaugh is. Um, but writes a lot about crime, does some nonfiction stuff, does some fiction. And so I contacted him and said, hey, would you come and give a talk about writing? And, um, and I got this very terse response from him that said, no, I don't give talks. Uh, it was like a two or three sentence response. He faxed it to me. He, uh, and, and so this is uh, 26 years ago, okay? So he faxes <laughs> this very terse response, but then his last line in his rejection was, but if somebody wants to ask me some questions, I suppose I could do that. So I just thought, well, let's do that then. Um, and so I got uh, UCSD TV to come out and um, uh, record it. And we put it online, it, it televised it. And I went into this uh, kind of panic because just like I talk about in the book, it's one thing to get an interview. It's another thing to actually conduct it without embarrassing yourself and, um, and doing something that's actually useful. So I just went into full panic about how do I prepare to interview Joseph Wambaugh. So I did, and I, and I took several weeks to get ready for it. And um, he actually told me, he said it was the most fun interview he had ever done. And, um, and that just kind of, and the audience response was great. The television audience response was great. We did it in front of a live audience. Uh, and I just thought, you know, this may be kind of the thing we want to do on a regular basis. So then the next year it was somebody else in the next year. So we've been doing it now for 26 years. So I, I give all thanks to Joseph Wambaugh. I love that origin story that it started with a terse fax. I mean, where do you hear that? A, a terse <laughs> fax that was saying no. <laughs> right. I love how you, how you spun it into a yes. Um, but, you know, interviewing these writers for as long as you have, it's an amazing list. You know, Amy Tan, Anne Lamott, as you said, um, I could go on and on. But what have you learned from writers? You know, is there a secret sauce to being a great writer or does everybody um, approach it differently? I would say everybody approaches it differently, but the one thing I think, th th there may be two things that, that keep coming up as recurring themes. One is how hard it is. Um, it, uh, again, I'll go back to Joseph Wambaugh. I made the mistake of saying to him in my interview, hey, that last book that you, that you wrote was so much fun to read uh, it was just a, a hoot to read. You must have had a great time writing it. And he looked at me like I had just poked him in the eye or something. And he goes, boy, are you wrong? 
and and you know I think it was um, oh I think it might have been E. B. White who said uh, easy reading comes from hard writing, and so if if something is is an easy read, you know that person slaved over that and just. I mean, there are some people who just say, no, it just kind of comes out, you know? And, I, you know, I'm not that person. And most of the great writers I've interviewed are not those people. So I would say that's one of the recurring themes, Christy, is, is just, it's, this is hard. In fact, Wamba said he's only had three jobs in his life. One was in a steel mill. Another was as an LA cop. And the third was as a writer. And he said, being a writer is harder than all of them. So, so there's that. That's one thing I've noticed. Um, the others, though, um, just feel this almost vocational calling to be storytellers, to connect, to help us understand the world to help us understand each other to help us understand what does it mean to be a human being that's and and that's what that's what they do and even the poets they'll 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 just say you're like a billy collins he'll take something like a lanyard that he wove at a kid's camp when he was a little boy and gives it to his mom as a gift and he writes this beautiful beautiful poem about it and you realize he's taken this very, very small item out of life. And you as the reader get this metaphor of, oh my gosh, he, he thinks, this is how the poem goes, he thinks now he and his mom are even. His mom gave birth to him. He gives, he gives her this lanyard that he made you know, in about a half an hour craft class. Now we're even. Uh, that's just a beautiful concept of, of how a little kid thinks. And, and so I, I just learned that um, I think some of the really great writers just can't help themselves. They, they just have to connect in some way. They have to interpret. They have to, uh, to use Ray Bradbury's term, they have to bear witness. And I think that's probably the coolest thing that's come out of all of these interviews is all of the different ways these writers uh, can bear witness to, to the world. Well, how about you? Why do you write? Well, thanks for bringing it back to me here for a moment, Christy. <laughs> um, I was wondering when that was going to happen. You are the guest in this interview. <laughs> that's right. I was, I was hoping Don't we forget. would get back. No, I, I think I have that same, when, when Ray Bradbury said, our job is to bear witness to the miraculous. I just thought, that's it. That's why I do what I do. Not, not the interviewing part, but the, but the writing part. I, there are certain stories I'm drawn to that I just feel like I see it, I need to tell about it. And um, it may be something that the world will never see, but I still need to hang some language on it. I wanna know I want to know what this is. And, and until I've written it, I don't really know what I think about it. I don't know what, how I feel about it. And then if I can include an audience, perhaps, now I can share it and, and 
do that kind of bearing witness. But um, I, I think the simple answer, Christy, is that I, I just feel like story is how we function in the world. And I get to be one of the storytellers. It's, it's actually a privilege. We just interviewed a, a YA author and she said that, you know, you hear all the time, write what you know, write what you know. And she's like, I don't want to write about what I know. I want to write about what I don't know. I like to answer questions through uh, my writing. So that was just, it sounds like kind of similar to what you said, you know, bearing witness. Yeah, and, and yeah, exactly. And I would say that's one of the cool things about journalism it is, is, is curiosity uh, just as such a great motivator. You see something and you say, huh, I wonder why that's the way it is. Or I, I wonder, you know, what happened there. And, um, and so journalism, writing what you don't know is your obligation, you know, because your job is to go find out and go explain stuff um, and maybe uncover stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I think writing, but, but I, I'm a nonfiction person. I've tried to write fiction. I suck at it. Um, but um, I'm sure that's not true. No, no, you haven't read my fiction. Um, <laughs> in fact, few people have. And uh, but I just think the uh, I to be able to ask the question, I wonder. That's all the motivation you need. So yeah, I, I would agree with your uh, with with your previous guest that that's that's what drives you is just saying I wonder. We could ask you questions about interviewing all day. In fact, <laughs> I would like to to interview again about interviewing. But we have some lightning round questions um, that we'd sure. like to move on to. Okay, the first one is who is your, your dream person you'd like to have at the writers symposium? Bono from U two. Wow. Okay. Uh, or uh, Bob Dylan. Both great choices. Luckily, they're listeners to this <laughs> podcast, so uh, maybe this and if, will and be. if you if you Bono, if you're listening, uh, Mr. Zimmerman, <laughs> if you're listening, uh, I'm a fellow Minnesotan. Show uh, show the uh, show the gopher some love here, and uh, and and come on the writers' symposium. Most challenging interview you've ever done. Dave Eggers. The problem with that, it, well, hold it, this is lightning round. So do I give, do I amplify yeah. or do we just move on? <laughs> you can say quickly. Okay. Yeah. He, he just didn't, he never got to a place where he was comfortable with the interview. Uh, and I just got a sense he kept waiting for me to ask him an embarrassing question. And so he, he I just got the sense that he was, he just didn't trust me person you want another interview with want to go back to and do not a do-over but maybe just an additional chat dave eggers <laughs> oh. i want an, i want another conversation <laughs> with him to, just to just to let him know no we can we can we can talk freely here and uh, we don't have to be afraid what is your favorite san diego bookstore that's a really good question i love going into the library shop at uh uh, at the public library downtown. That's just such a cool place. And, um, and yet the one that's close to campus uh, at Point Loma is called La Playa Books. I love what they have done there. Um, it's local, it's, um, it's both used and new. Um, 
And obviously I love going to Warwick's because they, they're just uh, immense in their offerings there. So I would say those three probably uh, are up in my top. I need to read that. Um, okay, last lightning-ish <laughs> round question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, if you were a contestant on Jeopardy, in what category would you excel? I know a lot about ice hockey. And I know a lot about journalism. Um, I know a lot about jazz. Um, probably those three areas. You've also traveled all around the world uh, reporting and interviewing for different stories. What is one of the most unique or interesting places you've found yourself? I think easily the first thing that comes to mind there, Christy, is Tibet. And um, I, I did some hiking and backpacking with, uh, with two friends um, for a couple of weeks uh, in Tibet. I got terribly sick uh, up there from altitude sickness. So even, even though I felt like I had a railroad spike uh, in my brain, uh, it was still one of the most profound, spiritual, beautiful places I've ever experienced. Um, I don't think I get into it in the Talk to Me book, but I, I do describe it in another book that I wrote um, where I, I got to witness, my friends and I got to witness something called a sky burial where, um, and not very many non-Tibetans apparently uh, have gotten to see something like this, but uh, we were staying in a guest house of a Tibetan Buddhist monastery. And um, there was a ceremony going on early one morning. And there was a body stretched out in the middle of the courtyard. And then they put that body on, on a guy's shoulder and they started hiking up the mountain. And we just followed them. And they led us. And, uh, and when we got to the top of that mountain, the sky was almost black with uh, vultures. And um, and they uh, stretched that body out on a stone altar and started slicing the, um, uh, the flesh off of that, uh, wow. off that body. Should I go on? I mean, this yeah. is radio, right? <laughs> no, this so, is it's truly amazing. This is incredible. I've never like, even heard of that. Stunned. Okay. Yeah, please go on. All right. So I, I don't want, I just don't want this to be gruesome or gross or, or, or whatever. Yeah. All right. I'm seeing no gag reflexes from the two of you, but um, we're good. So, so they slice all of the uh, flesh off of this guy, take all of the organs out, and it all just kind of gets tossed off to the side. And then the, uh, the guy with them, they do this with a machete. And, um, and then the, the, the guy steps back and all the vultures then just drop out of the sky and just completely consume everything that's been thrown on the ground and on that skeleton so that by the time they leave, I'm watching this whole thing. By the time they leave, the, the birds leave, there's not a fingernail or an eyelash left on this skeleton. And then the guy with the machete comes back out of this little temple um, with a big stone mallet. And then he just mashes all the bones uh, wow. with that big stone mallet and the vultures return. So after a couple of hours, there's absolutely nothing left. Wow. It's it's all been skyward. It sounds uh, like something. Oh, sorry. 
Yeah, no, it's so if you ask what's one of the most memorable or remarkable things I've seen or a place I've been, the place would be Tibet. The thing I saw there was a sky burial. It's just astonishing. I think that's And you wrote of, about this where? Because I feel like that is truly bearing witness to life. That is yeah, exactly yeah, what you're it, describing exactly. in the of writing. In, in fact, it's one of the few times where I've been threatened uh, without even a word being said because I pulled out my camera. And the dude with the machete holds the machete up and takes about three steps toward me. Message received. Uh, yeah. And I just thought, okay, I'll put it away. So I put, uh, put my camera away. But I wrote a book about um, applying the seven sacraments of the ancient Christian church to everyday life uh, called God Hides in Plain Sight. And one of the, uh, one of the sacraments is last rites or um, extreme unction. And so I, I wrote about death in that chapter. And so I described that. So I go into great detail if you're interested in reading the written account of a sky burial. It's in the book, God Hides in Plain Sight. I will go and read that, but who receives a sky burial? Is it just for any, anybody in a... That's a good question. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's very common. Um, uh, because there are clearly cemeteries and, and things like that all throughout uh, Tibet and China. Um, but I, I, I don't know who gets that sort of um, honor, uh, but it's, it's a beautiful concept when you think about it. Uh, it's gruesome to watch, but it's a beautiful concept uh, to say that uh, now this, this person returns the sky mm. yeah i don't know very circle of life mm -hmm. so this may answer that question but your online bio says that you've covered the stunning the moving the mysterious the tragic and the amusing and the absurd and we wanted to ask what interview or story has moved you the most i think when i went to kosovo um i was uh writing about kind of the aftermath of um uh, what the the bombings, the NATO bombings in there, which had been trying to stop the slaughter of uh, of Albanians, and uh, and it was I went to a home up in the mountains of Kosovo to interview the parents of an 11 year old girl who had been raped and murdered by a US service man. Uh, so when NATO went in to try to stop the, uh, the genocide in Kosovo, bring all these troops in here. Um, and one of them sees this opportunity. Uh, uh, and so he, uh, he kills this little girl. Her name is Merita Shabu. Talk about bearing witness. Every time I get to talk about her, I want to bear witness to her. And um, so I went up to talk to the parents of Merita, not just uh, about their grief and about their loss, but about the response that the US military had after they discovered that was one of their own who had done this. The US military not from the Pentagon, but just that base that was there in Pristina took up a collection for this family. 
um, purchased uh, cows for them so that they would have some sort of an income. Uh, the army doctor uh, went and, and checked on them and, um, and they, they, just, they just went out of their way to say, we are so sorry. And um, it's the only interview where I've only asked one question and, uh, and the interview then took the rest of the day. Well, I got into their home. It was just a one-room home. Um, and I just said, tell me about Merita. And so it wasn't even a question. Uh, I just said, tell me about Merita. I wanted to bear witness to Merita. And they brought up pictures. They brought up pictures of how she was found in the, in the snowbank, uh, her mutilated body, the bullet hole in her forehead. Um, I saw those, but I also saw her as a vibrant, joyful little girl. And um, so when it was all over and we were all crying, I was shameless in my own, my own tears uh, in this. I asked if I could go see where she was buried and just pay my respects. So I went with them to the cemetery and I took a photo of the headstone that the US soldiers uh, took up a collection to get created. So there's an image of her face on there and it has her information and a line at the bottom from the parents that said, she taught us to love one another. Mm. Oh my gosh. Oh. So, so it, but here, this, this is maybe what, what made it so profound for me. At the time, my daughter was 11. And so you can't not think about Vanessa when you're thinking about this happening to this 11-year-old girl. I can't not think about this happening to my own daughter. And uh, so when you want to know what story has moved me the most, it is both the loss and the awfulness of that story, but also the response to it from people who, who wanted to say, that's not the end of the story. We, we, we wanna be agents of healing here, if possible, even though it was one of ours who did this terrible thing. So that probably moved me more than anything else. How do you process all this stuff? I mean, as a nonfiction writer, you've had the opportunity to cover really beautiful stories, but also really heavy ones, you know, like the ones you've mentioned. I know you've covered shootings, um, other, other crimes. Um, yeah, how, how, do you, how do you process this personally? You know, the, the story about Merita Shabu, I, I just shamelessly wept. Um, and I, I, by process, I know you don't mean make sense of, because you can't make sense of that. What you, what, what you can maybe draw into are these larger human themes of life is this continuous toggle between loss and grace, loss and grace, loss and grace. And, and that was an example of loss and grace. It didn't bring her back, but it was a way to say, this isn't, this isn't the only thing that human beings do. So if you can 
Christy, if you can kind of draw yourself into that, that bigger theme that says, oh, this is kind of, this is kind of how the human story goes. Um, I will tell you the one that messed me up maybe at least as much was, was covering the Heaven's Gate mass suicide uh, up here in Rancho Santa Fe. When I say here, I'm not in Rancho Santa Fe. But, um, that really messed me up because those folks were in a state of mind where they believed in something invisible and believed it so much, all 39 of them took their own lives. And on the one hand, you just say, well, they're just nuts. Um, but what messed me up was as a person of faith, I also believe in some invisible things and some things that are really, really hard to explain that logically or intellectually are just absurd. And so I went into a pretty deep funk of uh, just trying to figure out how am I different from those guys? And uh, so your question about how do, how do you process it, that one I can say I wrote my way out of it because I kept trying to find things that were maybe different in my own belief system from what they did. And it took a while, but I, I feel like I got there. I love that. Um, well, Dean, thank you so much for spending time with us today. You have so many incredible stories. I'd love to hear more. Um, we are running up on the clock here, but just finally, I wanted to ask you about the Writers' Symposium um, this year. What should people know about the event? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I, I feel honored. I really do that uh, that you're interested in uh, in some of these uh, some of these things. Uh, the symposium, you know, we had to pivot a little bit because we had this amazing lineup of speakers for 2021. And, um, and last year, we had to make a decision as to whether to risk it and still try to do the in-person event um, or try to put the, that off for a year and do something else. So rather than cancel it, uh, we just said, there are a lot of really, really good writers right on our own campus at Point Loma Nazarene University faculty and students alike. So we created a, a student short film festival and did a competition. We've never done that before. And um, so we've got the winners and uh, we're gonna show those short films and then they're gonna be interviewed by our one of our own film experts on the faculty, James Wicks. Um, then we've got some people who have written some very, very important books uh, in the world of theology um, the Bible and moral injury. Moral injury is a really, really hot topic when it comes to war, for instance. And we've got a guy who's an expert on the whole concept of moral injury uh, as it leads back to the old wars in the Old Testament. And so he draws some amazing, amazing parallels. That's uh, Dr. Brad Kelly. Uh, Michael Lodal, Another one of our theology professors has written a new uh, book about why the book, the gospel account in Matthew matters. Uh, and Montague Williams um, has written about race and ministry and, um, and, the, and Martin Luther King Jr. And so, I mean, that's, that's one thing. 
Uh, we've got another and one where I interviewed some of our local poets on campus, and I found that illuminating. Um, and then we're doing a poetry workshop. Uh, and then there, there's one that this this may be for the eggheads only, but I, I think it may be interesting. Uh, I, any university campus, there's a lot of academic writing that goes on and writing for kind of uh, that academic uh, audience. So one of the smartest people in our whole universe at uh, Point Loma, a woman named Hadley Wood, is moderating two discussions, uh, kind of a round table about academic writing. And then the final thing is um, I agreed to be interviewed uh, by Stephen Goforth, one of my colleagues in journalism uh, on the faculty at Point Loma. I'm usually the one asking the questions and this time we thought, hey, we're turning inward. We're kind of looking at the writing that's going on on our campus by our campus people. So uh, that interview uh, is with me. So I, I think there, we've got the theme that says writing that illuminates. I think it's I think it's all illuminating. It's a lot of fun. I think people will enjoy it, even if they're not part of the Point Loma campus. So, so which leads me to next year, 2022, all of the speakers that we had lined up for 2021 agreed to, to wait a year. So we have David Brooks from the New York Times, who's interestingly been on the hot seat for a couple of things recently. Uh, Cornell West, who nobody talks about race the way Cornell West does, who's also in the news now because he announced today that he's leaving Harvard and, uh, and going to, uh, to teach at Union Theological Seminary in uh, New York. And then we have a, a, a woman who is a, an ordained Lutheran minister named Nadia Boltz Weber, who talks about faith in a manner, I guarantee you, you've never heard this kind of an approach before. Uh, so those, all three of them agreed to come in 2022. So it's all local for 2021. And then we're back to the, the big guns next year. Many thanks to Dean Nelson for sharing some of his advice with us and his many interesting stories. It's making me so inspired to get back out there and do some reporting hopefully in as interesting places as Tibet, uh, when it is safe to do so again, of course. Thanks to our listeners for joining us today. If you're a bookworm or love writing, I'm happy to share with you that we've had a few other local authors on this podcast, including Jean Guerrero and Marisa Reichardt. So please go check those out on whatever podcast app you're listening to right now. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Name Drop San Diego if you want to see announcements about who our upcoming guests are or send us a message about who you'd like to hear from next. Thanks again for listening and see you next episode.